Welcome to Almost Here, Round the Corner of Future Technology Podcasts with Richard Jacobs. Future technologies poised to transform our lives for better or worse are the focus of this podcast. Almost Here means these technologies are now here and starting to be used, or just around the corner, from Bitcoin to artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more. Coming to Dallas, Texas, September 14th, 15th, and 16th, 2018, the Blockchain and Future Tech Expo. This is going to be a gigantic conference of over 5,000 people. We're going to be talking about blockchain and its applications. We're going to be talking about quantum computing, cybersecurity, artificial intelligence, and several other future technologies that are poised to and actually changing our lives as we speak. Here's why you should attend. As you may know, early adopters are the ones that investigated and profited from things like the gold rush in the 1800s, from the dot-com boom in the 1990s, from the internet boom in 2005, from the smartphone explosion in 2007, from the real estate boom that ended in 2008, and of course, from the Bitcoin boom that started in 2012. Early adopters act now. They don't wait till later. They go out west first in their covered wagons. They find the biggest gold nuggets. If you consider yourself an early adopter and you want to find the biggest nuggets, then you owe it to yourself to attend this upcoming conference. Blockchain is going to affect how we control and store our medical data, how we send money around the world, how we bank, and more. But artificial intelligence, quantum computing, and cybersecurity will play a pivotal role in our lives as well. And that's why our next event, September 14th to the 16th at the Dallas Convention Center, is going to have not only 5,000 plus attendees, but we'll showcase blockchain, AI, cybersecurity, quantum computing, and more. You want to get in on the coming gold rush of future tech and opportunity as an early adopter. Don't be left out. To register, go to bftexpo.com. That's blockchainfuturetechexpo.com. Thank you. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with Future Tech Podcast. I have uh, Jonathan Solomon and Asaf Oran of biomx.com, B-I-O mx.com how you doing guys very well thank you yeah, yeah. Uh, if you would can you just give a brief intro uh you know your names and your positions and uh maybe a little bit of history of how you got into this uh this area and started working you know on the biomex project sure uh so this is jonathan solomon i'm the ceo been with the company for two years actually before this company i launched uh neurophage uh, which was a company that is targeting Alzheimer's based on the discovery that bacteriophage, which is viruses uh, that can break down biofilms. Um, I mean, these are viruses that target bacteria, but they can actually break down biofilms, and they have activity in aggregates which characterize neurodegeneration disease, such as Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, etc. Um, so we've launched that almost 12 years ago, uh, raised north of $100 million, and it's now in clinical studies. Uh, and then when the family moved back to Israel, um, I stepped down and then took the helm of biomics. Okay, and is BioMX um, <clears throat> similar concept looking at bacteriophages, or what's the concept yeah, of BioMX? So, How is it different? So, so we we like to call it biomics, but uh, you know you could sort of uh, term it any way you feel like. So feel free. Biomics, um, okay, very good. <laughs> we feel it's uh, cooler, um, but again, feel free to kind of use it any way you want. Um, so the concept was, this is a company that was founded by two prominent scientists at the Weizmann Institute, uh, Rotem Solek and Rana Inav. 
Rotem Solek is actually an expert in bacteriophage and actually bacterial defense mechanism uh, such as CRISPR. And Irana Inav is one of the up-and-coming uh, investigators in the microbiome. And they looked at the landscape and said, you know, there's a lot of activities of companies that are trying to add bacteria and hundreds of millions of dollars invested in that. But the second part of the picture is actually what happens if I actually want to take out a specific bacteria, if, if a bacteria is associated with a disease. I mean, everyone knows the story of H. pylori in cancer, which one wants to eradicate. But there, there's more and more science kind of indicating a specific bacteria that are associated with conditions such as IBD and cancer, et cetera. So the only way well, to what, what is um, what is what is the story yeah. with um, with H. pylori? I've heard of like C. difficile, right. that is a like a wasting right. diarrhea condition that can kill you. But what about H. pylori? What's the story there? Right. So H. pylori is kind of an old story, but a really interesting one. So for a long time, um, ulcers were thought to be right. If you had an ulcer. Um, it was thought to be sort of associated with um, stress and a bad lifestyle, sort of urged to do a lot of these interventions, thought to be something very, very complicated um, that in the end led to gastric cancer. And then a researcher came out with the hypothesis that the ulcers are actually driven by a bacteria, um, H. pylori. No one believed him. And then he actually drank a vial of H. pylori and prove that he got the ulcers, and then took antibiotics and proved that they went away, right? So no one believed him until that actually happened, and he demonstrated that, and, and that was proof that a disease which was thought to be so complicated was actually driven by a single bacteria. Um, so that's yeah, kind of the class. I think, yeah, it's amazing. And I think we think that there'll be more and more evidence of uh, bacteria that drive what we think of complicated diseases, such as IBD, or potentially a subset of the IBD patients. So that's kind of the thinking uh, behind the company. And I would just say, I mean, H. pylori is eradicated with antibiotics. But these days, we know two things. First, more and more of these bacteria are becoming very resistant to antibiotics. So a lot of these cases, antibiotics don't work. And the second thing, the other problem with antibiotics is that they're very broad spectrum, meaning that they're killing the good bugs as well as the bad bugs. And that's associated actually with... Um, adverse effects. So we know that, um, you know, cancer patients, when they take antibiotics, they actually fare less well. IBD patients, you know, Crohn and colitis, same. So there's a need to find something which is very targeted and specific. And that's where a virus such as a bacteriophage, which kills specifically a certain strain of bacteria, can be very interesting. And that's kind of the notion behind the company. Yeah, from what I've learned about the microbiome, I mean, there's thousands of different species of bacteria. There's also phages, there's viruses, parasites. Um, and you're right, you know, you go to the store, they have different strains of bacteria that may or may not survive the guts. And, you know, you'll take acidophilus or whatever, is, you know, to, to help yourself. But what's the mechanism you guys think will be more effective in changing someone's gut bacteria profile or eliminating a certain type of bacterium? So, so I think the future, you know, um, the midterm future and onward is, is always going to be a combination, right? Probably eat some prebiotics, which help facilitate growth of certain bacteria. We might take some, some, some bacteria and we might use phage. Um, so, so I think in the end, it's going to be a combination because we want to precisely engineer a microbiome, right? The, the disadvantage with what we're doing now with fecal transplants is that we don't really understand what happens. And then you get some side effects that you can't control. Um, so the future would be you probably come in, um, you know, with certain conditions, say suffering from certain um, IBD, 
you get your microbiome sequence, and then the doctor's going to say, oh, I think you've got you know, these two bacteria which are driving disease, um, and you might be missing a few other bacteria, so you might get a combination, right? Why don't we add these and take this, and you're good to go. And we're, we're precisely engineering your microbiome to kind of get to a state which we think is beneficial. So that's the midterm future. I think the short-term future, and that's what we're looking, is can we find a subset of patients that we identify a specific strain of, of bacteria or, or just a few strains of bacteria that right. we know are detrimental and we can take them out precisely, right? Because phage is actually a very effective tool to take out bacteria. Think about it. it actually, so it infects bacteria. It multiplies inside the bacteria. So that means for every single phage that infects a bacteria, you get like 100 phage, you know, coming out of the bursting bacteria. So it's almost like an amplifying, right? It's an exponential weapon. It's like a, a precise nuclear bomb for a specific strain of bacteria. Um, and, and it has capabilities against biofilms, et cetera. So it's a very, very potent weapon that on top of it is actually self-limiting, right? Because the, the phage is not going to propagate if there's no target bacteria. It doesn't interact. Um, so, so that's Those why the bacteria, it's very... The substrate, so when the, when the bacteria run out, the phage also dies, right? Exactly. It just sort of washes out because there's no more host. Right. Okay. Gotcha. So, yeah, you're um, fighting a fire yeah. with fire, I guess. Antibiotics are just static molecules against the living, you know, organism that can change and rearrange its DNA. But phages seem to have, what, the same capability as bacteria? Yeah. In some ways, you're right. It's, it's almost like the complement, right? Sort of like the natural predator of bacteria. So, you're kind of introducing the natural predator of these bacteria back in. So, if, uh, you know, how does your product work then? If someone comes to you, you would what, analyze their gut bacteria and phages, and then you'd, you'd select for a specific phage that would take out a certain bacteria that's in their gut that's causing them harm? Yes. I mean, that would be, right, I think what you're describing is really more in the future when it's, like, completely personalized, right? Somebody comes in, sort of do a sequencing, like, oh, why don't we sort of compose this cocktail, sort of give you the specific cocktail? I think what we want to have is, is a few uh, pre-screened products that we've already tested, right? So we'll know oh, you've got this strain that covers 10% of the IBD population, and we think you should take this product, right? And maybe you have a different type of bacteria, and we already have another product, and you should do that. So we're hoping that it's, it's, it's going to be personalized, but not to the you know, specific person level, but like the subtype of disease level. Same, same as what you see now in oncology, right? A patient comes in, tumor is sent for sequencing, specific mutations are identified, and then treatment is, is tailored according to the specific mutations in the tumor. So that means, you know, there's like an arsenal of a few treatments, and we're just, you know, selecting kind of the right combination. Right. So what, where is your product at right now? Are you looking at specific conditions, and you're prescribing uh, it as a phage medicine, essentially, or, you know, what stage you at? Right, right. So the lead, so, so I think a more strategic project is, is in IBD. So this is uh, work based on uh, Professor Kenya Honda from Japan, who identified a specific strain of bacteria that is associated with, with IBD. We see it in a, in a substantial chunk of, of uh, the patient population. It's overrepresented in patients versus healthy people. Um, and, we, and now we're doing experiments that show good activity. Uh, but, you know, that's from, from doing the preclinical experiments, there's still manufacturing and formulation, making sure we talk to all the regulatory authorities, et cetera, et cetera. So if all goes well, I think we're talking about initiating clinical studies uh, 
um, toward the end of next year. And you want to focus on irritable bowel disorder? Yeah, yeah. You know, the Crohn and colitis, if you do the analysis, and I, I believe Asaf kind of looked at it, he's our chief business officer also on the line. Um, most of the microbiome activity in most companies are looking at at IBD, uh, just because the, the data is very tantalizing. There's a lot of data. Um, I think we'll have further in the pipeline, we're looking also, also into cancer and, and a few other programs, but IBD definitely represents the first program. Can you say, you know, without giving away any secrets, can you say any indicators you're seeing with, with IBD or other disorders? Are there certain bacteria that appear to be responsible for causing these problems, or is it a lack of bacteria? Yeah, yeah. I mean, what, I, what do you see? Right. I can disclose, I mean, I would say what the company focuses on is actually bacteria that, that are target for elimination, right? That's kind of what we're looking at. So that's kind of the lens. The lens is that we analyze um, the microbiome landscape. And you know what they say, when you're holding a hammer, everything looks like a nail. <laughs> that's, right. that's what we're after. Uh, the IBD program, the first program, was actually published in, uh, in Science, so really one of the top journals. And this is a strain of Klebsiella pneumonia. So this is a bacteria that normally resides in the oral cavity. And for some reason in, in patients, it sort of migrates down to the gut. And then it, it causes inflammation in the gut. So I think he did a lot of really cool work um, to give us good, good comfort that, that this is actually a very exciting target. Oh, what, what will it look like when your uh, product is finalized? Will it be a considered a medicine or a medical food or just a supplement? I mean, what, what, what's the regulatory path? Are you working on making what will be considered a medicine or is it a medical food or is it just a supplement? You know, what's this going to look like when, it, when it's ready? Uh, so it is a medicine. We had a chance to interact. I mean, there was an FDA workshop on phage specifically. There's a lot of interest with regulatory authorities on phage therapy because, again, it, this could be um, the next generation after antibiotics. It might be a good tool at overcoming, you know, the antibiotic crisis. Um, mm -hmm. So it is regulated as, as a drug um, because the, our first-generation molecules are actually naturally occurring bacteriophage, so we're not engineering them. We're isolating them and, and using a lot of know-how how to build a cocktail of phage, but it's all naturally occurring. So there's actually a lot of um, tests that we don't need to do uh, just because of that. So there's a lot of shortcuts to get to a clinical study uh, rather quickly. Um, okay. Once, I think in some of the other products in our pipeline, we're thinking actually of engineering the phage to enhance their capabilities, and there um, you do like a classic, you know, drug development path. Well, how come, um, you know, probiotics and prebiotics aren't considered, uh, you know, drug? Why would this be considered a drug? So you raise an excellent point. You could think about you could think about you pursuing a phage um, phage therapy as a nutritional path, but we think it, it all depends on. Um, I would say it all depends on the indication. I mean, we've done the analysis, and when you look at an indication like IBD, you want to go with a drug path. You want rigorous testing. You want to do the whole shebang. If it is something, and, and other companies, and we share this discussion among, I think, all the players in the microbiome, uh, so long as it's naturally occurring products, you can choose to do one or the other. And it a bit depends on the indication, right? If, if it's something which is more mild and it could, it could benefit uh, patients, but the effect is smaller, but maybe over a longer period of time, you might want to go with the uh, nutritional path or food supplement path. If it's something that it's right. a severe disease, want to make sure you can pick up the effect, you want to run it against the standard of care, it's more suitable for a drug. So both paths are viable. I'd say very much dependent on disease and the side of the effect one is hoping to see. Yeah, I can see you get more mainstream adoption quicker 
if it's considered a medicine and a, a treatment for an acute condition. So I see why you're doing that. It makes sense. Right. I, I think maybe to add to that, it's part of the, you know, matureness of uh, what's building all the excitement about the microbiome industry. I mean, uh, probiotics, prebiotics have been, have been there for a while. And you're, you're right that you can quickly get them into market. Then, you know, the evidence of the level of efficacy that you can see and whether they're kind of helpful or whether they can really cure a disease, you know, that's the big difference. And I think a lot of the excitement in the last kind of decades started from the academia showing really linkage to how the microbiome could be not like a nice to have, but clearly could in some cases drive diseases. And then came the notion that you could uh, impact your uh, your bacteria and microbials in a way that you could actually, be, it could, could be rendered a real cure for a disease, a real medicine. And with that mm-hmm. came a lot of investments because, of course, taking it to a, a drug route is much more expensive and takes much more time. But there's today a body of evidence showing that, you know, these, these treatments can really be impactful in diseases. And that's why many investors and pioneering companies uh, have, have decided to put the effort in going all the way in order that it could be really compete against existing um, medicines that we have out there today. Yeah, it makes sense. Okay. Very good. Um, the phages themselves, where do you find them? How do you cultivate them? Do they always hang out with their associated victims, the bacteria, or you know, like where do they exist in nature? Or where do you, again, where do you find them? Well, good, good intuition. I, I think they're usually found wherever you find the bacteria, right? That's kind of the rule of thumb. Um, the way we do it is we actually source a lot of environmental pay samples. Um, you know, think about water from lakes in Geneva and Asia and the U.S. and Europe and Israel. And you test sewage and you test uh, fecal matter and you test saliva and you just build a huge bank of environmental samples. And then you, we use um, kind of uh, a rope, you know, sort of the robots and the whole pipeline that we built to automatically screen all these thousands of environmental samples against our target bacteria. I, I would add just kind of another level of complexity that think about if we have a specific bacteria that we want to target, we want to make sure that we've, we, we've isolated strains from different patients to make sure that the phage that we have have good coverage for enough patients, right? Um, so, so it's actually quite a lot of logistics and, and a lot of kind of grunt work to, to get that moving. How much of, a, of an arms race is it between bacteria and bacteriophages? You know, like they're bacteria developing antibiotic resistance, but what about uh, phage resistance? Do you see that and what do you do about it? Well, for sure. I think one of the greatest um, discoveries of the recent year, right, CRISPR, um, and the whole revolution of um, this new generation of, uh, of genetic engineering is actually an adaptive immune system of the bacteria for phage, right? So, so phage, uh, I mean, the bacteria can actually capture, they, they sort of retain fragments of the phage DNA, and they remember it, and if they see it, they snip it. And, and there are multiple other mechanisms that, that bacteria protect themselves from bacteria, so it's, it's quite an arms race. Um, the way to overcome it is actually by using a combination of phage. So if you use more than one phage, you can actually reduce the chance of a mutant arise, arising at all. So from our experience, when we use a cocktail of three to five phage, and if we've constructed that cocktail using all the know-how um, and using all the algorithms, we can actually reduce the chance of any mutants arising to something measurable. Well, how specific are the um, the phages that develop to kill a certain bacteria? I guess it's probably like people. There's 
many different quote unquote diseases they could have. Right, right. And it's very bacterial dependent. So some bacteria, look, we have some targets that you look at and then just a few phage cover all the strains that we can source in patients. And some of them are more specific. So it's very bacterial dependent. And, and hence you see the, the complexity is why I think building a phage cocktail is not a trivial task. It's about getting hundreds of samples from patients. It's about isolating those bacteria, then isolating hundreds of phage, testing all the combinations, sort of building an optimal cocktail, um, and then testing them in different environments. Some bacteria sort of lend themselves to few phage, and some of them are more complicated. And these are sometimes the cases that we've used um, uh, genetic engineering. So sometimes what happens is some of the phage have actually a capability of embedding themselves inside the DNA of the bacteria. That's called lysogeny. And and it's an advantage for the phage to do that because they can then, um, if there aren't a lot of bacteria around, they can enhance the chance of survival by kind of going dormant inside the bacteria until there'll be more bacteria around. Um, But the regulatory authorities don't like uh, lysogeny, so they're asking to use phage which are not lysogenic, and then we'll engineer the phage to kind of take out the genes that enable that. So that would be one type of uh, synthetic biology that we do. That's crazy. It's amazing what goes on at all levels. You know? Yeah, it's, it's phenomenal. I mean, the most amazing thing that I've seen recently is a publication from a year ago from Rotem Solek, one of our scientific founders, that actually published yeah. in, again, Nature Science, that the phage can communicate among one another, right? So you think about how is is a virus particle, right? This is like software. It's a piece of software. There's no hardware. How does the virus communicate with one another? So what he showed is actually that the phage can inject their DNA into the bacteria, hijack their machinery, which is what they do, but then they hijack Mm -hmm. them to produce a small, you know, a molecule that communicates with other bacteria that were infected by the phage to, to take decisions on how they and when they kill the bacteria, right? Wow. So that, that's insane. The level of complexity there is just unbelievable. Period. It, it sounds like um, the phages are alive. I mean, you know, it's funny, Almost, we're on, the, right? on the, um, the, the borderline between life and no life, you know, is, are bacteria alive? It seems like definitely they are. Are phages alive? Are viruses alive? It's weird. They seem to have an intent and they have the communication system and everything, but they don't have a brain. Right. I, yeah, I, I think the, the scientific definition is, I mean, they're, they're like all brain, right? They're all software, no hardware, because they can't function without the host. So I think that's why they're considered to be technically dead or semi-alive. Uh, but I agree with you. I mean, it's like a piece of software. You just need to find, you know, it's like your USB and just to stick it in the computer to get the software rolling. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. Um, and, and the is, is there any way for you to coax um, a phage to to use its natural mechanisms to find defenses to or new attack vectors on bacteria? You mean like to attack specific bacteria, or um, I'm not sure. I'm, yeah, I'm yeah. Right. If there's a, a specific bacteria, and for some reason you haven't found a natural phage that preys upon it, or the bacteria adapts and becomes resistant, is there any way to you know push for the your side of the arms race and um, you know, encourage yeah, the phage so, to find more ways, more attack vectors for the bacteria. For sure. I mean, there's a lot of smart manipulation that you can put on the phage and sort of insert additional um, kind of DNA or capabilities into the phage. Like one of the things we were playing around, um, you can actually insert something which is an anti-CRISPR, right? So if a bacteria carries a mechanism that's tried to identify a specific DNA in your phage and sort of snip it, you can actually introduce you know, genes that would sort of block that mechanism or jam it in the middle 
Um, so you could do a lot of things. Um, the one caveat I would just put is, is that nature is pretty smart, right? So a lot of times you can actually find these very sophisticated variants in nature um, and then just harness them. That's usually faster. That, that's a, bit, a faster way to get to a clinical testing because you just find something natural and we picked a phage that has this cool capability, but sometimes you don't find it and then you can engine put it in, right? Sort of you could do, and, and we've teamed up with uh, Tim Liu from MIT, one of the um, you know, giants of synthetic biology, and, and he did a lot of work with phage. So a lot of times you can take a mechanism from one phage and sort of lend it and put it in another phage, right? To your point, like if we want to add a capability that one family of phage has, we can actually take those specific genes and put them in another phage family. Wow, okay. Well, amazing. So um, <clears throat> what's the, uh, I mean, we're just about out of time, but what's the best way for uh, you know interested parties to contact you to find out more about what you're doing? Asaf, you want to take that? I mean, for for just people that are interested in what we're doing, then, you know, they can go to our website, which is biomics, B-I-O-M-X.com. And uh, for people that are interested in the science, they can see and see some of the products that we're developing there. And, of course, we're also, you know, meeting people from the industry, both companies like ourselves, developing new therapeutics through conferences. We're just in a week from now, we're in a conference in uh, Netherlands, and next month we're going to be in a conference in Boston. And, of course, we're also in touch with pharma companies that are getting more and more engaged because of the speed that this uh, field is advancing at. Okay. Well, very good. So the website's best. All right. Uh, anything that, uh, you know, I should have asked you that we left out that's uh, super important? Any, you know, upcoming developments in the next few months, or is it going to be more longer term? I, I think I think the the IBD program, you know, probably toward the, the end of next year would be the, the major event. I mean, there's more work on the pipeline that we're doing, but I think the main focus would be on, on the IBD program. Yeah, and I, yeah, I should have said in the beginning, but how many people in the, worldwide, or at least in the U.S., does IBD affect? How big of a problem is this to solve? Well, if I recall, right, I think it's like north of 1.2 million people just in the U.S. Not right. More. I think it's more around 1.5 in the U.S., and uh, what's more concerning is that uh, it's continuously growing. I mean, the, the prevalence of this disease is actually growing. Well, it's a good thing you guys are working on. So thank you very much for coming on the podcast, and I appreciate it. Thank you for the great questions. Really enjoyed it. Coming to Dallas, Texas, September 14th, 15th, and 16th, 2018, the Blockchain and Future Tech Expo. This is going to be a gigantic conference of over 5,000 people. We're going to be talking about blockchain and its applications. We're going to be talking about quantum computing, cybersecurity, artificial intelligence, and several other future technologies that are poised to and actually changing our lives as we speak. Here's why you should attend. As you may know, early adopters are the ones that investigated and profited from things like the gold rush in the 1800s, from the dot-com boom in the 1990s, from the internet boom in 2005, from the smartphone explosion in 2007, from the real estate boom that ended in 2008, and of course, from the Bitcoin boom that started in 2012. Early adopters act now. They don't wait till later. They go out west first in their covered wagons. They find the biggest gold nuggets. If you consider yourself an early adopter and you want to find the biggest nuggets, then you owe it to yourself to attend this upcoming conference. Blockchain is going to affect how we control and store our medical data, how we send money around the world, how we bank, and more. But artificial intelligence, quantum computing, and cybersecurity 
will play a pivotal role in our lives as well. And that's why our next event, September 14th to the 16th at the Dallas Convention Center, is going to have not only 5,000 plus attendees, but will showcase blockchain, AI, cybersecurity, quantum computing, and more. You want to get in on the coming gold rush of future tech and opportunity as an early adopter. Don't be left out. To register, go to BFTExpo.com. That's BlockchainFutureTechExpo.com. Thank you. You have been listening to Almost Here, Around the Corner Future Technology Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Subscribe to this podcast, post a review, to discover more future technologies that are poised to transform our lives for better or worse, such as Bitcoin, artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more.